I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Kara Crosswaite Brindle, author of Understanding Ruptured Mother-Daughter Relationships, Guiding the Adult Daughter's Healing Journey Through the Estrangement Energy Cycle. As many as one in 12 people are estranged from a family member. The choice is a challenging one and typically follows an emotional cycle that eventually lessens the grief and leads them to discover a new sense of self. Daughters who have experienced repeated discomfort, hurt, trauma, or risks to safety from their mothers will often grapple with the decision to estrange. Their choice is neither impulsive nor rash. When exploring their current relationship, their growing awareness of alienation, lack of affection, abuse, or neglect can push them to consider cutting ties. Kara Crosswaite Brindle examines the challenges and needs of adult daughters navigating the immensely difficult and defining event of estranging from their mother. She's a licensed mental health therapist in private practice in Denver, Colorado, and holds various other roles, including financial therapist, TEDx speaker, burnout consultant, author, and professor. Welcome to the show, Kara. Nice to have you on. Thank you, Catherine. I'm happy to be here. All right. This is like a tough topic, I think, too, and I, I'm not sure how often this happens. What are we talking about? And maybe it's not really necessary to know, but in terms of numbers, I mean, you're a therapist. Uh, you see a lot of people. Uh, you don't hear about mother-daughter estrangements very often, and maybe they're kept secret or hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's not talked about as much as people realize, especially if we have one in 12 people estranged from a family member, but a lot of those women are coming into therapy in distress, and so being able to normalize this is a part of their journey, this is a part of their therapeutic work if they're in therapy, or maybe they're just confiding in one friend that feels safe to do so because there's so much judgment for these women who are having to estrange. So there's stigma, there's judgment there of all of those things within the family and, and grief and pain. And obviously it affects not only the mother and the daughter, but also the rest of the family, I'm assuming. Um, so Absolutely. what are the, and I talked about in the, I, in the introduction, what are the stages? What, what, what are we looking at? Uh, what are the stages of estrangement, mother-daughter estrangement? Yeah. So we look at seven, or excuse me, eight stages total when it comes to the estrangement energy cycle. That's the term I use for it. Uh, the key word here is energy in the sense that a lot of these women are anticipating these events. So the energy might be mentally just going through the motions of this could happen, or if I make this choice, let me play it through. So some women are actually going through it in real time because they're pursuing estrangement. Others are anticipating estrangement, which is causing this to happen. Uh, so for a lot of these women, the first part of the cycle is identifying abuse. So if they realize that there was something that went on in their childhood or have a new lens of, wow, that was abuse or trauma or neglect, it's really hard to unsee that, which then catapults them into stage two, which is questioning. Do they go to their mother and ask her about it? Do they confront her? Do they focus on the present relationship? Do they want to feel the past? So depending on how they broach that with mom, if mom's responsive, we have beautiful healing that happens where mom's like, I've owned my stuff. I'm so sorry that happened. I'm going to do better. Um, that's what we all want as adult daughters. But if the relationship goes poorly, then we go into a relationship rupture, which is the third stage of the cycle. So that's when mom minimizes the daughter's experience, might get defensive, might start name calling, might accuse her of her own mental health issues, things that are immensely painful for the adult daughter. 
Uh, from there, if adult daughter's like, I want this to stop. I want the pain to stop. I feel like I need to get some control back in my life. She might pursue estrangement, which could look like physical estrangement or emotional estrangement. At that point, there's a grief and loss response, which I know you're How, Can I stop sure you there when you say physical painful. estrangement or emotional estrangement? Uh, I understand, or maybe it's easier to understand physical estrangement, but what, what constitutes emotional est- uh, estrangement at that stage? Yeah. So for a lot of people, they'd absolutely think of the physical estrangement because it's the no contact. Emotional estrangement is described as kind of a slow burn of distancing. So maybe I'm not calling my mom as much. Maybe I'm restricting how long I spend time with her. Maybe I'm not going to every single family event, but I still have a connection to mom. And so a lot of people might start there with like a slow you know, change of distancing versus a hard stop or not speaking anymore. A lot of women would go to the emotional estrangement first. And how does that affect, let's say you're uh, married with children or just with children, and uh, what's the impact, let's say, on the children? Let's say if you're doing this emotional estrangement, um, which may morph into or evolve, I guess, into physical estrangement, how does that affect the kids? What do they do? Yeah, I think it really depends on the kid's awareness and their age. So developmentally, a younger child might not notice that we're not interacting with grandparents, in this case, grandmother. Um, until maybe they see a classmate talking about grandma or hear someone talking about grandparents and realize that they don't have that dynamic in their life. That usually leads to a child asking mom, why don't we talk to grandma? Which can then lead to some healthy, hopefully, conversations between mother and child around that. Um, Depending on if they're an older child, they might have a lot of questions because they're able to track the relationship a little bit more clearly. They might say, what happened? I think of teenagers who want more information. But I think it's really about what's age appropriate to respond to a child's questions, knowing it might be one question, like, do they like spaghetti for a really young child? Or it could be something much more intense for an older child who's tracking this. When a daughter is estranged from her mother, and let's take the teenager or the older child, as you say, it depends, uh, you know, how this plays out with the kids, depending on their age. Uh, Do the Mm -hmm. older children ever uh, perhaps continue the relationship with the grandmother, even though their mother is not. Yeah, yeah. I think especially once they become an adult or an older teen where they have a lot more independence and choice, they might say, I want to be connected to my grandparent, to my grandmother. I've had lots of adult daughters who are in the estrangement process have that worry of how do I navigate this thoughtfully for my child? They don't accuse me of alienating them from their their grandparents. Um, so, like, coaching them on what to say and how to give them some boundaries and some age-appropriate explanations without dictating you can or cannot talk to your grandparents, that they have that choice when they're older. So, it's navigating the boundaries. I mean, I guess everybody's, na- well, we're always navigating our boundaries and the boundaries have changed between mother <laughs> and daughter, obviously. So, we're, um, we're kind of in the middle stages, I think, aren't we? We're at stage number four. Yeah, so estrangement stage four, grief and loss was stage five. So really emphasizing to listeners that grief and loss feels like a death. I mean, the stats are telling us it feels just like the death of a parent. So it's very emotional, very painful for both parent and adult daughter um, in this case. From there, they might catapult themselves into discovering a sense of self. Who am I without mom's influence? What are my interests? What are my passions? What are my pursuits? Without her influence or her telling me, you should do this. Um, So we see a a big change happening there. And then they move into the seventh stage, which is deeper work. Uh, As a therapist, this is my favorite stage because now they're having aha moments about how the relationship with mom has shaped other relationships. 
Maybe they have new sense of attachment to an intimate partner. Maybe they have a difference of how they want to parent their children. Maybe they're looking at friendships and how those could be different based on what they know now. And then the last stage is redefining that self-worth of who am I? Where am I headed? What am, who am I now in my life as a mother, as a daughter, as a friend, as a partner? And so that can be really powerful for women. It also sounds like an emotional roller coaster, you know, back and forth. And yeah. as you, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you have to navigate that roller coaster. I mean, what happens, or how often does it happen? I mean, in in your practice, where you see adult daughters reconnecting uh, with their estranged mothers. Yeah. So in my practice, I serve a lot of people on Medicaid, and so I think there's significant trauma there, just based on the poverty that they might be experiencing, the life transitions, um, the complex trauma, which is more about relationships. So my particular population, it's actually more rare that they reconcile because the trauma is so significant, so painful, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, compounding on each other. The good news for listeners is that the stats I have from 2022 say that 80% of women will reconcile with their mother. It doesn't say how long that takes or what the circumstance was, but they are saying that 80% of their participants in that particular study did reconcile with mom at some point. You say at some point. I mean, sometimes you read these studies or the research and some point, maybe 10 or 20 years later um, or even longer uh, after. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After a lifetime, I guess. Um, so your particular population, we're talking about, I guess, a certain demographics, right? You're saying most of the patients mm-hmm. that you have uh, or that you're uh, – or in therapy with you, or on Medicaid. Is there a difference? Um, is there a, a qualitative difference between the, those vulnerable, well, I would say vulnerable populations as opposed to uh, middle-class estrangement? It, it, what are the differences? Because there's sexual yeah, abuse, I mean, I think- all the things you mentioned, mm-hmm. it seems, well, they exist everywhere. And yeah, yeah, go ahead. Absolutely, they do. And so I think it's really probably an access to resources. Um, for a lot of the women I served, they had limited resources. They were single parents. They were going through a lot. That might look different than a middle-class individual who's like, I've got a lot of support. I have a lot of connections. I have a lot of community. Um, obviously, abuse doesn't discriminate. It can happen to anyone of any demographic. And so it was interesting to see these women go through the cycle, even just with their different support systems. So even if they had Medicaid or private insurance, they were coming to therapy and distress about, am I making the right choice? Should I keep trying? Should I do something more? Should I try harder? You know, it, it, as you're describing it, it sounds so painful. I mean, you're talking, it's like a death, as you say, uh, um, and mm-hmm. to be able to actually, yeah, totally or completely, I would say, cut yourself off. Because I, I would assume, too, when you, when you cut yourself off or you're estranged, uh, you're not just estranged from your mother, but it may be a whole set of, of people and maybe in some cases support that you have to navigate those relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that ripple effect on siblings. I mean, that's something we talk about in the book is siblings, you know, out of love for both people, their parents and their sibling are like, I want you to talk again. I want you to reconcile to having people really have their own agenda of, I need my family to stop being fractured. I want them to come back together. And that's coming from a good place, but the sibling is, maybe feeling like they have to pick a side or have an alliance with one side or the other, which is really painful for the extended family, that ripple effect that happens. 
So in that case, what do you or how do you handle that as a therapist? Do you have the siblings come in for family therapy or is it or do they just remain out of the picture? I, I don't mean out of the picture, but you're, they're not part of the, 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 the therapies. Yeah, I think it really it was dependent on what felt safe to the adult daughter that I was working with. If she wanted a sibling to come in to understand her side and recognize how difficult it was for her, that was possible. It was pretty rare in my practice at the time just because they were feeling unsafe with a lot of family dynamics. They might have already had a family member say, you're lying. That didn't happen when it came to sexual abuse, as one example. And so they weren't open to bringing that person in to what felt safe. Therapy for them felt safe and contained. So to bring a person in, they probably needed to vet that that was going to be worthwhile and safe for them. And I would think in some families as well, you may have uh, some of the siblings or even all of the siblings being sexually abused and only one chooses to address it and go get into therapy and, uh, and, and make changes. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen that where like one sibling is brave enough to say something and then they're penalized by their peers or in this case, their siblings. I think you're the one reason mom and dad are separated. You're the reason we were taken out of the home. Um, so just adds to that pain that we're tracking for these women. Absolutely. You know, your book has been described as a clinical tool that outlines these stages of estrangement and the decisions and the adjustments. How does it work as a clinical tool? Let's say just someone picks up your book, read your book. Uh, how, what are they going to, how are they going to be able to, what are they going to get from it? Or do they actually need to see a therapist? Do they need to see you? Can you just use this? Well, it's a tool, a clinical tool. How, how do, how do they use it? Yeah. So our two audiences are mental health professionals, which is that clinical tool piece. And then a lot of adult daughters are picking up the book to say, do I feel seen? Is this part of my experience? are the women's stories in the book capturing what I've gone through. There are nine women's stories throughout the book that illustrate concepts of the cycle as we go. Um, Also in the book are 24 therapeutic tools that people could do on their own with a coach, with a therapist, with a family member, or with a friend. So those adult daughters might pick it up and say, I want to do this on my own, or they might feel encouraged to go into therapy if that's something they need. On the clinical side, I was feeling like mental health professionals were like, this is coming into the space, but I don't know what I'm looking at and I don't know what I need to do. And there's a huge assumption that we're pushing adult daughters or adult children in general to estrange, which is not great to even have to admit that that's the rumor. And so I wanted to have clinical competencies and checklists and tools for those clinicians to say, I'm unbiased, I'm neutral, and I'm helpful. And that's where it's clinical. You mentioned, okay, there are nine women's stories. Can we pick out a couple of those stories and and, and talk about them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nina is my favorite. (laughs) She's probably one of the most complex stories in the the book. Obviously, all of the stories are, um, you know, inspired by client events but are not truly the client story. But she had significant physical, sexual, and emotional abuse in her childhood, had a lot of people-pleasing tendencies, had some perfectionism show up in her adulthood. And she identified as a highly sensitive person, which when you think of the lens of trauma, that makes sense because these folks have to lead people really quickly to say, are you safe or should I go? So they might be hiding in their room if mom's volatile or they might engage her if she's healthy. So Nina was one of those women that was highly sensitive um, and very, very hurt. And she would call herself broken. That's not my language. So she came in with a whole laundry list of diagnoses and kept questioning what's wrong with me even though mom had physically assaulted her, hurt her a lot. 
So in the end, she estranged from her mom, but every milestone that she hit in adulthood and every anniversary, she questioned if she should go back to mom, which I feel like is so human. Of even when estrangement happens, we still question, could it be better? Could it change? Can I do something different? And that was Nina's story. What about addiction? Uh, how does that, or does it often play into this? Mothers yeah. who are, yeah, and um, yeah. Absolutely. So Casey is another story in the book, and she has, both parents are suffering with alcohol abuse. And so she experiences financial abuse from her father and emotional abuse from her mother. She ends up having to estrange from both of them as she goes into her own recovery. So she ended up having an alcohol issue herself. Um, and she kept relapsing because they were pushing her and gaslighting her and doing some pretty awful things to her. She was in therapy for trauma, but also learning to set those boundaries, which led to her estrangement from her parents at that point. And as a therapist, uh, uh, how do you connect? With, I mean, how, where, where do you get? I mean, I, I'm not saying necessarily where you get your referrals, but how do you connect with them? Are, are you in private practice or do you get referrals from other therapists or um, other agencies? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I have lots of different hats I wear. This is one of many. And so at this point, I'm serving mostly clinicians themselves. So I'm helping them with their daughter work or if they work with women or if they want to work with mothers. So actually, a lot of the, the consultations I do now are for therapists who are trying to navigate this very thoughtfully. Um, so I'm not working with as many of the women one-on-one. I still have a small caseload of clients, but I am doing a lot more consultation with therapists to address this and many other things they're navigating, including burnout and client loss and lots of headiness there. All right, you just you just mentioned you're a serial entrepreneur. Tell us about some of that. So you're, you're <laughs> I'm yeah. curious, yeah. Uh, I, I don't like to be bored. Um, so I'm a professor part-time. I have a small practice. I do a lot of consultation for therapists. I've written eight books in the last five years. Um, I think I'm addicted to writing. That's what I'll say about that. And I have a daughter. So but when I was writing this book, she was four months old. So it didn't escape me the significance of building healthy attachment with her as I was capturing women's stories where attachment wasn't sound or was really painful. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm always working on something. <laughs> and I love it. And eight books, that, it, starting when your daughter is four months old, that's pretty good. I mean, that's it's better than pretty good. So, uh, you know, we've been talking about, obviously, this book, but uh, I, now I'm you're piquing my curiosity. What were the other books what were, that, uh, yeah? Yeah, a lot of them are for clinicians, but the one I'm most happy to share with your listeners is I wrote a children's book that launched last month about talking to kids about estrangement. So as I was working with these adult daughters, they were coming in saying, how do I talk to my kid? You also asked this question, Catherine. So I think people were craving some tools of like, what can I say to my kid? How do I say it? What's appropriate? So I actually took my first step into children's book authorship and worked with an illustrator, which was super fun. And now we have a little children's book for elementary age children that is for parents to help them understand estrangement and talk about it thoughtfully. You know, when you say talk about it thoughtfully and they have this, uh, another tool talking to kids, it also helps to uh, relieve the, some of the stigma. It brings it all out in the open, I, I would think. It, I mean, now that you're absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. addressing the kids because uh, the title of the book, it, what is the title of the book? This children's book is called Penny McGee's Family Tree, Talking to Kids About Family Estrangement. 
Okay. And so talking, when you say talking to kids, what age group are we talking about? Uh, about five to 10, so elementary age for those kids. And, and I guess my next question is what's been the response? I mean, this is a recent book, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, you know, it's, for me, it's part of my impatience of, as a perfectionist of like, let's get it out there. Let's do this. Uh, the response has been great. The families that have reached out said, this is the tool I've been looking for. They love the illustrations. They love the setting of it being like a family that has, you know, diversity in the family tree already. And then how mom and dad model conversations. They love the tips in the back of the book for parents. Um, so, you know, child therapists are loving us. Family therapists are loving us. And of course, parents are loving it which is really fulfilling for me to hear. Um, I wrote it for my nieces and nephews because I'm in a family that has four generations of estrangement. So it really was crafted with a lot of love. And when you say four generations of estrangement, are you estranged from your mother? Nope. I am married into this family of four generations. My mother is actually my first reader and editor of all eight of my books. We are very close. Thank goodness. So, I'm blessed that way. Yes, you are. So you're the opposite. You're uh, 180 from that, right? Yeah. I mean, we had some terrible teenage years, which, you know, I don't ever want to relive 14 years old because that was rough. But I think that also came into the writing of these books to say, you know, there is hope that things can get better, especially as, you know, people age. And especially if the parent and adult child are willing to do their own work. So. I recognize that a lot of what was informing my writing was the family I married into and the client work. How does the partner fit into this? I really haven't asked you about that. We're talking about the children. We're talking about the daughter who's estranged. What about the 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 partner? Well, both partners, actually, I, I guess. The mother who is um, being the daughter. Who's What about her relationship with her spouse or her partner? How does How is mm-hmm. that affected? by the estrangement. Yeah. So in our, in our book, Understanding Ruptured Mother-Daughter Relationships, we have a chapter on all the people that are rippled effect, affected by this. And so we talk to partners saying, here's some things you can do. Here's some things you should avoid. So obviously the thing to avoid is to push our loved one to reconcile. That's from family. That's from partners. Like we shouldn't be pushing them to reconcile if that doesn't feel safe. And so for partners, it's a lot about curiosity, asking what they need. How can I help you? And recognizing that these adult daughters are triggered by milestones where mom should be present and isn't. So marriages, having children, retiring, starting a new job. These are times where these adult daughters say, man, I really wish I could call mom. And I wish she could celebrate this with me. And she's not here. The partners, I think, just being curious and sensitive and empathetic to the fact that a show can trigger this, this daughter. Um, family dynamics in a movie could trigger her. It just depends on where she is in her own work. But yeah, I think for partners, it's just being curious and open to her life is probably very different than theirs. And can they hold compassion for that? Yeah, I, I would sometimes I would think that would could be very difficult because maybe the push is when they see perhaps or feel that they see an opening as you're describing it, you know, a birthday or an anniversary or, or that, that is a trigger for wanting to reconnect when it's not really healthy to do that, that they might want to push. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because. Yeah. Yeah. And um you know, so they have to be very much aware of where they're coming from. I would imagine. Um, what and I, and I are they involved? Also, I'm asking you again, but are they involved in the therapy? I mean, do they go? Are they the process with you with your client? 
They can. They, I've absolutely had partners come in, especially if the client that I'm working with wants them to know something and wants the safe space to talk about it that's not home. Um, a lot of times I emphasize that the heavy is best not addressed in the home because it taints our home environment, right? It's the same reason yeah. we don't do therapy in our bedrooms <laughs> because it's just <laughs> not ideal. Um, and so a lot of those adult daughters would bring a partner in to have the partner just really listen to what they had to say, ask questions have me help mediate if appropriate or necessary. Um, but yeah, those partners tended to have their own agendas or confusion that we could then address therapeutically. I was like, yes, your family system is very healthy. It probably baffles you that your partner's family doesn't look that way. Um, so normalizing some things for the partner in the room if they want to come in and if my client says that's okay. Because uh, sometimes that's a huge, a big surprise. People get married and they have no idea. Sometimes they do. It, it depends how long, obviously, that they've been together or have shared that uh, re- the intim- the relationship that they have with their mother. But uh, I would imagine in many cases the partner had no idea that the um, this emotional cycle that they're going through even existed. Oh, yeah. It's hard for them to disclose it because they're worried about what response will they get from a potential partner or actual partner. Um, so it might come out months or years later. They might say, I'm going to oversimplify this and just say my parents dead because in some ways they feel dead to them. Um, I've had that happen where clients have then had broken trust with a partner when they realize the parent's alive. They just don't talk. And I think this is where the term toxic relationship comes into play because for my clients, even though this is an overused term, It was their way of simplifying something that was so painful that they didn't want to really go in depth with. So they'd say, hey, I'm not talking to my parent. It's a toxic relationship, period. And the partner or friend or whoever heard that would get a message of, all right, we're not talking about this, or I have no questions for you, even though it was probably much more complicated than the word toxic. Well, there's so much more to talk about, uh, but we have a couple minutes left. So understanding ruptured mother-daughter relationships, guiding the adult daughter's healing journey through the estrangement energy cycle is the title of the book. And I've been talking to the author, Kara Crossweight Brindle. And Kara, can you give us a website and or websites to go to for more information about your book or books and the work you're doing? Absolutely. So for this particular book, estrangementenergycycle.com is where all of the therapeutic tools are located, more about the book, more about me as an author. All of my books are on Amazon, so that's probably the best way to find the book. I do have a professional website, but it's more geared towards those therapists I'm serving now. So I would say estrangementenergycycle.com and Amazon. You can find me there. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Lots of great information. We appreciate it. Thank you, Catherine. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 